Welcome to another episode of About Mansfield, the Thanksgiving episode. I'm Steve Casillo, broadcasting from the new Cellmark Studios. Colleen Daniel is here, socially distancing from home today, along with the entire About Mansfield news team. And we appreciate you being here today. Coming up on this episode, Mansfield news, sports, and weather for the upcoming week. And as always, we will conclude this episode with the trivia question of the week for a $25 gift card to the new 54th Street Grill. Let's take a look at the stories we're covering this week. This week, the COVID-19 epidemic continues to speed up its spread in Mansfield, but there is some good news with the bad. Hometown Holidays gets a last-minute makeover. City Council swears in a new member. Early voting has begun in Mansfield. It was a rough week for Mansfield ISD football teams. Ouch. The great Robert Frost wrote, good fences make good neighbors. And he wasn't kidding. I'm home improvement specialist Terry Radswin. And we'll talk about that in the Ask Terry segment later in the show. And what are we thankful for? We'll hear from some of our staff members as we close in on Thanksgiving. Alexa is here with the seven-day weather forecast. And Steve will talk with a retired air traffic controller. You think your job is stressful? We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. This is About Mansfield. Presents! Yay! I love presents. They're my favorite part of Christmas. Hey, hold on, kids. I like presents, too, but there's so much more to Christmas than presents. All of these presents remind me of a really important story. Let me tell you about the greatest present ever given. Come experience the joy of Christmas at the drive through Nativity presented by St. John Lutheran Church on Debbie Lane in Mansfield. Saturday and Sunday, December the 12th and 13th, 6 to 8 p.m., Stunning costumes, live animals. It's free and open to the public. For more information, log on to stjohnmansfield.org. Come and experience the wonder of Christmas. Swahoo has been safely open during this fall semester, with students taking on-campus, online, and hybrid classes. We are grateful this semester we were able to continue inspiring knowledge, faith, and service both to our students and the community. And for all the hardworking faculty and staff that went above and beyond. And for a limited time, Swahoo is offering a $2,500 scholarship to all first-time freshmen from the Southwest USA. Learn more by visiting swau.edu. Hi, this is Tamara Bounds. For nearly a decade, I have worked with Mansfield citizens, city staff, multiple boards, commissions, and council members to bring good solutions to our challenges. That's why I'm running for Mansfield City Council Place 2. As your council representative, you can count on me to be your voice, to understand matters that are important to you, your family, and your business. And now is the time to make good use of our remaining vacant land, maintain fiscal responsibility while expanding taxpayer relief. We need to find lasting solutions to our growing infrastructure needs and recruit sustainable businesses that will provide higher wage jobs that give Mansfield a competitive edge over bordering cities. I am asking you to vote for Tamara Bounds for Mansfield City Council Place 2. For more information, visit my website, TamaraBoundsForCityCouncil.com. Paid for by Tamara Bounds Campaign. 
Your logo or emblem defines who you are, so why not show it off with custom printed shirts? I'm Dana Wood with Ohana Screen Printing. We are a custom screen printing company and can print your design or help you create a new design. While t-shirts are our specialty, we can print on all kinds of apparel such as masks, hoodies, bags, you name it. Ohana means family and that's exactly why we started Ohana Screen Printing, to bring our family and community together through creative expression. We look forward to adding you to our family. Rest assured that when you do business with Ohana Screen Printing, that your dollars stay local as we are a family-owned business based right here in Mansfield. If you're part of a business, organization, or sports team looking to make a visual presence, hit us up on Facebook or ohanascreenprinting.com. That's ohanascreenprinting.com. Presents! Yay! I love presents. They're my favorite part of Christmas. Hey, hold on, kids. I like presents too, but there's so much more to Christmas than presents. All of these presents remind me of a really important story. Let me tell you about the greatest present ever given. Come experience the joy of Christmas at the drive-thru nativity presented by St. John Lutheran Church on Debbie Lane in Mansfield. Saturday and Sunday, December the 12th and 13th, 6 to 8 p.m., Stunning costumes, live animals. It's free and open to the public. For more information, log on to stjohnmansfield.org. Come and experience the wonder of Christmas. Hi, this is Teresa Cohagen, Director for Visit Mansfield, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield. This portion of the news is brought to you by Ohana Screen Printing. The COVID-19 epidemic is continuing to increase its spread in Mansfield, yet there is some good news. Our roving science reporter, Dennis Webb, has the update. Dennis? Thank you, Steve. There's good news and bad news. The good news is the worldwide industry of vaccine researchers, developers, and manufacturers have announced we will all have access to three different apparently very effective COVID vaccines. More on the way. One vaccine is a conventional design like the flu vaccine we get each year, and the other two are newer technology that has been in the work for decades and is ready to be used. At the national level and in the state of Texas, people in government are working hard to get the unprecedented logistics and distribution system ready at warp speed to get the vaccinations to us quickly. The bad news. We currently got a big spike in the local spread, bigger than July and August, and it shows no sign of turning around or bending the curve. Last week, Tarrant County shared a deck of summary charts expressing concern, and I quote, The situation is getting dire. Let's bend the curve again! Explanation point. We need to work together to navigate this surge and protect our community. County Public Health reported, while there are a thousand empty hospital beds and hundreds of ventilators available across the county's many hospitals, the county's intensive care unit beds, ICU, are at 92% full, and only 39 beds remain available. If the number of hospitalizations continue to increase, as it has for the last 10 or so weeks, these are going to fill up. All is not lost, as Texas required each county and its hospitals to prepare a plan to be able to add necessary capacity as needed, and I expect the hospitals are putting this plan into work this week here. It is doable, but a strain, as the ICU capability relies more on monitoring equipment and more nurses and doctors to deliver the acute care. Nearby counties are facing similar demand on these resources, so it is a strain. 
Nurses are angels of healing who fight to protect their patients. But if you've ever had a loved one in a hospital where there was a nursing shortage, as I have, everything slows down. And this is something that can't happen in acute care. So we each need to follow the guidance of our local officials, continuing our shared civic marathon until we each get a vaccination in our own arm. It sounds like doctors and nurses will be vaccinated first, maybe starting by Christmas, and the rest of us, in priority defined by the state of Texas, will get vaccinated across the first half of 2021. As a clarifying reminder, the vaccine can prevent you from getting the infection, but it is of no use if you are already infected. So each of us is still on the mask, distance, hand-washing, avoiding crowd marathon until we each get vaccinated. A personal story and then the numbers. While my immediate family has escaped the virus, I know of at least six friends who have had it and two had very slow recoveries. Two friends lost an elderly parent in a residential facility. I don't want the virus in my house as my wife and I are old and I'm overweight and it is more likely to be worse for us than you kids. A week ago, I had an unusual tightness in my chest, but no other symptoms. It was probably stress over a dispute we got with Medicare. Don't get me started. My oxygen level and temp were fine, as we can now measure those things in our house. We've been careful, so it probably wasn't COVID-19, but there are anecdotal stories of people getting it in spite of their precautions. All these precautions run against our normal human behavior, so it, it is hard. I woke up the next day with the same symptom, called my doctor, and scheduled a visit to see if I should get tested. I pull up in the parking lot and call them. We settle an open bill, a different Medicare problem, geez, and nurse interviews me over the phone. I wait a while. Another nurse comes out with a little basket. In less than two minutes, she takes two blood samples, a throat swab, and two of those uncomfortable nasal swabs. I wait some more in my car. Doctor comes out to the car to look me over, tell me I don't have the flu, and I will get the COVID results over a telemedicine thing on Monday. As we talk, the nurse with the basket is at the next car over. We got drive-through healthcare and telemedicine, but still no flying cars. By this time, my chest discomfort had passed, maybe because we had figured out the next step in our Medicare dispute, so maybe the stress went away. My wife and I researched over the weekend and discussed how we would divide up the house and lock me away from her and the cats for a couple weeks. It's more complicated than it sounds. Monday came and I heard I was negative and I was added to the county statistics on case positivity rate, pulling down the average a tiny bit. Complicated, but we can get it done in Mansfield. Okay, the numbers. On Monday, November 23, Tarrant County reported 2,296 Mansfieldians as having tested positive, 1,604 are estimated to have recovered, and 30 citizens have died since the start. This means we had 275 new cases this past week, a big increase over last week, and the sixth consecutive week of increase, and another record high. The county estimates we have 692 active cases in Mansfield, that is, someone who could pass the virus to another person if they weren't quarantining. Another record high. Four new cases in the part of our town that is in Johnson County. We had one new COVID-19 death in Mansfield this past week, the first since late October. Last week, Mansfield ISD reports 33 new cases among staff and 64 new cases among students, both numbers similar to recent weeks, though it bounces around each week. 
For context, Tarrant County had 9,517 new cases last week, a record high, beating the previous week's record high. Test positivity has dropped to 14%, suggesting we are still not testing enough to contain the virus. Last week, the county saw 8,746 tests each day. Think about that logistics. And I think it's a record high. Countywide hospitalization with the virus has increased to an average of 757 citizens and a hospital bed with the virus each day, a record high. Each of the last nine weeks has seen an increase in this indicator. The county reported 32 deaths this past week, about the same as a previous week. As always, we welcome any science questions from listeners. Put questions in an email to info at aboutmansfield.com. Reporting from the roving science desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. City officials have made a few changes to the upcoming hometown holidays celebration plans. Instead of one giant gathering, the annual holiday celebration will be spread out over a few days to give you more room to simultaneously celebrate and socially distance among other revelers. The rides, games, and fireworks originally planned for this year have been postponed to 2021. The announcement was delivered by City Manager Joe Smolinski in humorous rhyme by way of a YouTube video. The orders came down as the numbers did grow, meaning big changes to the festival we know. When what to my wondering eyes did appear, but a new way to celebrate with eight tiny moments of cheer. With a pivot and shuffle so lively and quick, I knew in a moment our staff saved St. Nick. You can see the entire video on our website, aboutmansfield.com. Just click on the links tab. I state your name. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. The city council swore in a new member at Monday night's meeting. Todd Tenori now occupies place six on the council, having defeated Philip DeGroat in the citywide elections earlier this month. Tenori fills Terry Moore's seat, which Terry had to relinquish to run for mayor. Outgoing Councilman Terry Moore was recognized and thanked by Mayor David Cook for his three years of service on the council. And he told the audience that he's not going to stick around for the rest of the evening. I'm not going to sit in the crowd. I'm going to walk down this aisle with my wife and my daughter, and we're going to go to dinner tonight. It is our 36th wedding anniversary, and I owe that to her. I can't thank you enough to the councils that have been here in my tenure. Um, and to the staff, especially the staff. Early voting started this week for three runoff races in Mansfield. Michael Evans and Brent Newsom go head-to-head for the mayor's seat, while Tamara Bounds and Scott Bowman seek council place two, and Yolanda McPherson and incumbent Courtney Lackey-Wilson are vying for Mansfield ISD school board place seven. Mansfield residents who reside in Tarrant County can cast their vote at the Mansfield Sub Courthouse at 1100 East Broad Street or at the MISD Athletic Complex at Newsom Stadium at 3700 East Broad Street. Johnson County residents can vote at the Lillian Baptist Church located at 10544 County Road 519 in Lillian, while Mansfield residents who live in Ellis County can vote at the Midlothian Conference Center at 1 Community Circle Drive in Midlothian. Early voting runs November 23rd through December 4th, with the exception of Thursday and Friday of this week, and Election Day falls on Tuesday, December 8th.
Please be aware that the operating hours vary between the three county locations. We have a link on our website with the days, hours, and voting locations at aboutmansfield.com. That's aboutmansfield.com under the links tab. Looking to spread some holiday cheer this season? Our friends at the Mansfield Activity Center, or the MAC, are looking for some help to spread cheer to the Senior Lifestyles members with a donation of an activity item. The MAC employees will be delivering holiday gifts and meals to 80 members next month, many of whom have been homebound since March, and they would appreciate any added bit of fun that you can contribute. You can order donation items via an Amazon wish list that the MAC has created, and the items will be shipped directly to the activity center. The wish list items include arts and crafts, paint by numbers kits, and jigsaw puzzles ranging from $7 to $21. Let's check sports with Tommy Cummings. Oh my gosh, it was a rough week for Mansfield ISD football. Everyone took a loss. Let's start with Timberview. Alito, which is ranked 8th by Max Preps, defeated Timberview 44-28. That makes Timberview 6-1 for the season and 3-1 in District 5, 5A, Division 2. Meanwhile, Alito won the district title and its 94th consecutive district game. And in other games, DeSoto rolled past Mansfield High 56-7. Duncanville routed Lake Ridge 51-3. Red Oak defeated Summit 37-16. And Midlothian got past Legacy 41-14 at R.L. Anderson Stadium. So let's get on to this week. Mansfield ISD teams have the opportunity to work off Turkey the day after Thanksgiving. Timberview will be at Globe Life Park in Arlington to take on Arlington's again. Mansfield High will face Cedar Hill at Newson Stadium. And Legacy will take on Richland at R.L. Anderson, while Summit travels south on 287 to face Midlothian. Lake Ridge is at Waco Midway. In the UIL Volleyball Playoffs, Mansfield High and Lake Ridge are in the 6A area round, while Legacy is in the 5A area round. We'll look at how they fared next week. And that's it for sports in Mansfield. If you have any sports news, let us know. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Tommy Cummings. It's time for the Ask Terry Do-It-Yourself Home Improvement feature. Terry Radswin is our resident home improvement specialist, and he answers your questions about the place that you call home. Terry? Thanks, Colleen. Today we've got a question from Kate, and she writes, We recently had a good bit of our wood fence blown down by high winds. Do you have any recommendations about repairing or replacing? It's a pretty old fence, and it's kind of rotten in spots, so I'm leaning towards replacing the whole thing. Thanks for the question, Kate. There's no doubt that when that wintry wind starts whipping from the north, a lot of privacy fencing bites the dust. To get started on your decision to repair or replace, you need to know what the city of Mansfield requires by ordinance, and you can find that information on the city's website by typing fence regulations into the search box. If it's been a long time, like maybe 10 or 15 years since the fence was replaced, congratulations, but there are some important things to note as the most current regulations went into effect in December of 2012. If you're replacing or repairing 50% or more of the total lineal footage of fencing on the property, you have to comply with those regulations. First and foremost, take a look at your fence posts. If you're thinking about completely replacing the fence, you're going to have to replace all the posts with 2 and 3 8 inch diameter galvanized steel posts sunk at least 2 feet into a concrete footer. You'll also have to make sure that the stringers, or the rails that the pickets are fastened to, are 2x4 material, not 2x3. 
that's a big cost consideration when it comes to repair versus replacement. Obviously, if you've just got a few eight-foot sections of fence that are blown down, you can replace those sections without having to replace the posts as long as they're solid and stable. If, however, the reason the fence blew down is because the cheap landscape timbers that were used as posts snapped off at the concrete footer, then maybe you'd want to consider doing a complete replacement with steel post because the next big win may take out a few more of those rotten old posts and the next one will take out a few more. When considering whether to repair a segment of fence or replace the whole thing, understand that those old posts have got to go and there will be a cost involved in that. I get asked a lot about whether it's better to use pre-built fence panels or build the fence from scratch with loose pickets. The answer has to do with time. The material cost for ready-made panels is usually a little bit more than buying loose pickets and rails. If you're doing the fence yourself, it's slightly cheaper to hang the rails and nail on the pickets individually. But if you're hiring out the job, you've got to factor labor costs into the total, and that may make panels a cheaper way to go. Some fence installers will hang panels and some absolutely refuse to, so when you're bidding out the work, have it priced both ways. Do you have any slope to the fence line or any dips along the path? You'll probably want to go to the loose picket route because panels are manufactured square and it's tough to make them work with irregular terrain. As far as materials go, I personally prefer cedar pickets and pressure-treated stringers. Cedar is nature's own treated lumber. It resists insects and rot naturally, and it'll weather down to a lovely gray color over time, but I still recommend at least applying a clear wood protector, if not a stain, to the cedar fence for additional longevity. You can spend some extra money and opt for cedar stringers if you want, and that'll give you a more even appearance all around. Pressure-treated pickets are a less expensive and long-lasting alternative to cedar, but that's about the bare minimum I'd consider as far as material goes. Untreated spruce or fir pickets and pine or fir stringers will give you a few years' service, but even applying stain or sealer to them won't give you the longevity you'll get by using pressure-treated or cedar lumber. And don't forget that permit. If you're replacing the whole fence, you need to obtain a permit from the city if the fence is more than five feet tall. And who doesn't do a privacy fence at least that tall? And again, if you're replacing more than 50% of the total lineal footage of fencing, you'll need a permit for that job too, as well as any fence that's over six feet in height, even if you're replacing less than 50% of the total footage. Obviously, the installer will pull the permit if you're hiring the work out. Kate, thanks again for sending in your question, and all the best to you in completing your project. And hey, if you've got a home repair or remodeling question, please get it to me so I can answer it on the show. You can reach me by email through the podcast, or post it on my Facebook page at Ask Terry AM Podcast, or my Twitter at Ask Terry AM Pod. I'm here to help. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Home Improvement Specialist, Terry Radswin. If you have a home improvement question, you can send an email to askterry at aboutmansfield.com. Again, that's askterry at aboutmansfield.com. Terry will tackle another home improvement question next week. Health, wealth, the pursuit of happiness. 2020 is undoubtedly a strange year, and I'm sure that everyone in Mansfield has a lot to be thankful for. Our staff is no different, and you'll hear some personal thoughts from myself, as well as Dennis Webb, Colleen Daniel, Tommy Cummings, and we'll start with home improvement specialist, Terry Radswin. Terry? This year, I'm thankful for a very dedicated and persistent team of physicians who worked hard to get my daughter through some long-term digestive issues that she's been fighting for almost a year now. They also did a great job keeping her safe from the coronavirus through all the hospital visits and surgeries she endured. Hopefully, the worst is behind us and she'll be back to full steam before long. 
and from she and I to you and yours, have a safe, healthy, and thoughtful Thanksgiving this year. Thanks for listening to About Mansfield. I am thankful for my health, for my family, for the unconditional love of my antisocial dog, for the magic of the internet, for the cleansing power of Netflix comedies, for the patience of friends I'm not seeing due to COVID-19 and working overtime on disaster relief loans, and finally, for the promise of upcoming coronavirus vaccines and our proximity to the end of this crazy year of 2020. This Thanksgiving, as always, I'm thankful for my beautiful wife, Bridget, and my wonderful children. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. A closing thought this week of giving thanks. I'm thankful for my health, who and family and friends. Oddly, I find I'm thankful for social media, Zoom, and email that keep me connected with family and friends. As we get older, our world gets inevitably smaller, and the epidemic has mostly robbed us of the raucous evenings of playing music with friends, cheerful hours in my beer joint and favorite restaurant, travel, and family gatherings. While you may think of me as the silver-tongued devil of the airwaves, I am at heart a writer, and writing at the keyboard and reading other people's writing sustain me in good times and bad. I wrote daily during my career at NASA a wide range of subjects according to the needs of our projects. I've written several books and am finishing another. Anytime I have anxiety, I write to process what is going on, and I have written a lot lately. If I've written well on social media as original post or a comment on someone else's, a few people actually read it and discuss, even if it is six paragraphs long. I usually have several conversations going on at the same time with old friends and new across the country and overseas, ranging from astronomy, space program, art, music, guitars, family stories, cat pictures, or something I recently experienced that I'm still figuring out what it means. It is a blessing. The old guy rambles. And Dennis, as long as we have a podcast, you have an open invitation to ramble on, my friend. This year, I am thankful for dodging the proverbial bullet. Several of my friends and neighbors have had COVID, two of them as far back as January, long before testing was a thing. My family and I have been healthy and cautiously maneuvering around the city. My musical endeavors have been reduced to performing outdoors only, and I look forward to returning to a steady stream of indoor gigs sometime in the near future. I I am thankful for the first responders in Mansfield, as well as the frontline workers who have worked tirelessly to keep our friends and family healthy. I am thankful for the scientists who are working round the clock to come up with a cure. It appears there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I am most thankful for my family, my support system that holds me together in tough times, my wife Maria, my rock. My kids, Daniel and Sophia, who have grown into responsible adults. Thursday's Thanksgiving, and whether you find yourself alone or with a large group of family and friends, may your day be blessed with healthiness and happiness and a ray of sunshine. Let's see if Mother Nature is going to cooperate. Alexa? On Thanksgiving Day in Mansfield, we will see partly sunny weather and a high of 75 degrees. In Mansfield for the next seven days, on Wednesday and Thursday, it should be sunny with clouds on Friday. Expect stormy weather on Saturday, with sunny skies again Sunday through Tuesday. Daytime highs will range between 57 and 75 degrees Fahrenheit. 
peaking on Thursday. Alexa, is there anything that you're thankful for? I am most thankful for being a part of this podcast each week. According to Tarrant Regional Water District, Mansfield lawns need no irrigation this week. It has been over two weeks since our last measurable rainfall, but sprinklers can likely remain off this week. The top few inches of soil are likely dry, but there is moisture a little farther down. Lawns with sandy soil may need some assistance soon. Use a water hose for newly planted trees, plants, and dry spots. The week will be sunny and pleasant. To see a map of watering recommendations for North Texas, log on to waterisawesome.com. Coming up after the break, when we switch from news to talk, we will talk with a retired air traffic controller. If you've ever traveled by commercial jet airliner, this is a must hear. And don't forget, we also have the trivia question of the week, which concludes every episode. I'm Steve Casillo with Colleen Daniel and the entire news team. This is About Mansfield. Hey Mansfield, did you know cannabis is legal in Texas? I'm Sonia Salazar, co-owner of Wise Wellness. As cannabis educators and advocates, we can answer any questions you have regarding hemp-derived CBD. Wise Wellness carries a variety of products, including oils, topicals, edibles, and pet products. We are located on FM 157 beside Mansfield Fun Jewelry. As a thank you to the About Mansfield podcast listeners, we are offering a buy one, get one free special on select products. Just mention the podcast at checkout. Follow us on social media for our latest updates. Search for Wise Wellness. That's Wise, W-Y-S-E, Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon. Hey, it's Steve Casillo. I want to take a second to tell you about Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. It's where we record and produce our weekly About Mansfield episodes. Podcast Mansfield is a full-service studio with recording, editing, mixing, and mastering capabilities, and can even help market your podcast. Podcast Mansfield is home to such great local shows, such as Ask Philip, The Face-Off Spot, and Daughter of the Other Woman, just to name a few, and handles post-production duties for remote clients, such as Coaching Through Chaos out of San Diego and Military Resource Radio from Detroit. So whether you're a hands-on person who just needs a place to record your podcast or need the help from concept to completion... Podcast Mansfield is there to help. Conveniently located on Heritage Parkway, just off of 287 in Mansfield. For more information on starting your podcast, or if you're looking for a better place to record, Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio can be found on the internet at podcastmansfield.com. That's podcastmansfield.com. Introducing Coldhammer Stills. What is Coldhammer Stills? It's a 70-proof chocolate cappuccino liqueur that's been distilled six times with a balanced blend of coffee, light cinnamon, and cocoa to create an enticing, robust flavor. Here, try some. Oh my gosh, Becky, 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 come here. You have to try this. Ooh, what the? This is so delicious. I've never had anything like this. I need to have some more of this. Find Coldhammer Stills. Find liqueurs at Total Wine and More or your favorite package store. Ask for it by name. Hello, my name is Michael Evans, and I'm running to become the next mayor for the city of Mansfield. I've had the opportunity of serving here in Mansfield for 31 years. Ten of those years on the Mansfield ISD Board of Trustees, where I eventually became the president. I am running for mayor because I believe in smart growth in Mansfield. We should be a city that has master plan communities, master plan developments, developments that have 
in mind our first responders, our law enforcement officers, our teachers, and even our most seasoned citizens. The city of Mansfield is a beautiful place, and we should continue to leverage our funding to make sure that we have a robust downtown system. And in regard to economic development, we need to be reminded of the fact that the city of Mansfield is the attractive date at the dance. Be mindful that a good economic development strategy attracts corporations, retail, and restaurants that will lighten the tax burden on our citizens. I'm here to ask for your vote. Michael Evans for mayor. Early voting begins November 23rd through December the 4th with election day on December 8th. Paid for by the Michael Evans for mayor campaign. Welcome back to another segment of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo as we make the switch from news to talk. And in the studio today, we're going to go back into my childhood because uh, one of the most fascinating things to me all the way back to my childhood is the fact that airplanes can fly. I understand the, the principles of aerodynamics, thrust, lift, and drag, but to have something that's 45 tons, and then you put another 20 tons of fuel on it, and then you put another 20 tons of, of passengers on it. You're looking at 87 tons of stuff that's able to fly. Uh, to me, I find that extremely, extremely fascinating, even to the point of stopping in the middle of a tennis match to watch a plane fly over the tennis courts. Planes fly over Mansfield all the time, especially when they're on the southern approach to DFW. And speaking of DFW and air traffic, uh, in the studio today, he's not only a friend of mine, he's not only my neighbor, he's a retired air traffic controller. We welcome Hugh Hunton to About Mansfield. I'm happy to be here, Steve. They're called ATCs, right? Uh, yeah, that's for short, yes. Okay. How long were you in ATC? So what people don't realize is a federal... Air traffic controller, we're, we're governed by law. We have to retire the end of the month that we turn 56. So I was eligible to retire with 25 years in when I was 48 years old. And I realized that if I retired at 48, I would have to go get another job after retirement to supplement my retirement. Okay. But if I stood on my head for the last eight years, went to 56, got the full retirement, I would not have to work for anybody. So I, I really thoroughly enjoyed doing what I did for 33 years and five months. So I went ahead and pushed on and uh, worked till uh, my 56th birthday. That was your last day? Was the... The, They kick you out the end of the month that you turn 56. So that was February of 2018. My, I turned 56 on the 22nd and they let me work till the end of that month. And I got this. I should have brought the letter. Um, <laughs> I got this. It's a one-page letter from the FAA saying, "A um, thanks for your service, but uh, basically you're fired." So, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> says, nice. But don't don't file for unemployment because you knew this from the get go that we're going to kick you out at age fifty six. It was it was a bizarrely worded letter, and I'll have to show you that sometime. How but, did you feel about retiring at fifty six? Because to me, that's. And that's a young age. Everybody says that, says it's very young. Um, I use a hashtag when I when I get on social media and show my flying stuff and all that, and it's hashtag retirement doesn't suck. Yeah. So I, I enjoy it. I own two small airplanes, um, so I, I keep busy with uh, dabbling in aviation. And uh, no regrets. I mean, going into this career, I knew that 56 was the end. Right. So, so I adapt. Like I said, when I when I dabbled with retirement, thinking about retirement at forty eight, I went and flew traffic watch, 
And I don't know if I can say the radio station. Sure. Uh, at WBAP, I flew Monty Cook around for a while in a little Cessna 172. Oh, and very cool. Th- that's when I realized that radio people were like what we're doing. We're really just talking heads. I mean, he, he dressed in a T-shirt and shorts, and he had a great <laughs> radio voice if you've ever heard him do his traffic watch. Um, one day, we were flying the traffic watch, and I saw a banner airplane fly by. And I was like, that looks like fun. So I went down to Pearland, Texas for a weekend and trained to fly banners, and we flew those out of Redbird. And uh, for nine months, I flew banners. And the guy asked me when he trained me, he says, why do you want to do this? I said, it looks like fun. So the owner of the company called me once a month. You still having fun, Hugh? I said, yeah, I'm having a ball. Well, after about the eighth month of picking up and tearing down banners in the middle of the field at Redbird Airport, south of Dallas, in the middle of the summer, I realized that this was hard work. And it was at month eighth, he called me and said, you know, I'm not really having much fun anymore. So I gave him a one-month notice to to replace me. But in that nine months that I flew banners as a full-time air traffic controller also, I logged 350 flight hours with the stall warning going off the whole time. So wow. if you know anything about aviation, um, you're flying right, right above the stall because you're dragging a 4,500-foot square sail behind your airplane. So it's parasite drag. Were you a pilot or an air traffic controller first? I grew up around aviation. Uh, my father's always had an airplane, so as an infant, I was an airplane. So I've always known small airplanes. My father encouraged it. Um, I went on and got all my ratings, went to uh, Louisiana Tech, 83-84 in their professional aviation program, and got a pocket full of pilot's licenses in preparation for an airline career. But I wore glasses. They did not have LASIK surgery back then, and the airlines didn't want you. Um, 1984, the airline industry is cyclical, so it was kind of in a slump in 84. So I applied for the Air Force to be an officer, and I also applied for the FAA. The FAA was still rebuilding the controller workforce from the strike in 1981 when Ronald Reagan let all the controllers go. So uh, the uh, the FAA called me. They said, hey, we had a uh, – I graduated school in May of 84 – did a normal summer like a summer off, and the FAA called and said, hey, we had a cancellation at the Academy in Oklahoma City, which is where all federal controllers go is the Academy in Oklahoma City. Can you be there in three days? I said, sure. <laughs> my mom's like, wait, what? <laughs> so I packed my bag, went there, showed up on uh, September 26th of 1984, and you do three months at the Academy, and it literally is a pressure cooker where they rip the top of your head off, put in the fire hose, and you learn how to separate airplanes without radar, time over fixed, time and distance and all that, there's a 50% washout rate up there. So I was dating my now wife at the time, and I told her, says, if I graduate the academy, I'll marry you. So so luckily, I, I, I was successful, graduated the academy, and proposed to her that, that Christmas. And uh, I was stationed at Fort Worth Center, which is uh, just south of DFW Airport at Highway 360 in the FAA Road Trinity exit. Mm-hmm. I was an en route controller. There's, there's uh, Normally when you talk to people about air traffic controllers, you think, oh, that's the guy in the tower. Or you've seen enough TV shows and movies, you know there's a radar room somewhere near that tower. Right. That would be an approach controller. So the tower guy or the radar guy below the tower is approach control. I was an en route controller. Which so there's 20 of these facilities in the in the entire United States, and Fort Worth Center happens to be located halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth, and uh, so I did my entire career there. An interesting note about the en route centers is when they were all constructed in the late 50s, early 60s, it was the height of the Cold War. Well, not the Cold War, the the Red Scare, that kind of stuff. the The effective range of it, basically, the effective range of a nuclear weapon at that time was 26 miles. Okay. 
So Fort Worth Center at that time was built out in a pasture 26 miles away from Dallas, which would have been the nearest target or Carswell Air Force Base out, out to the west. Um, as an example, um, like Denver Center is not actually located in Denver, it's located in Longmont, Colorado. And, it, and it's that way for all the en route centers. Um, they're, they're usually, well, in the 60s, they were built in a rural area, 26 miles away from the nearest target. But now in most of their cases, you know, civilization has overgrown and surrounded them. We're surrounded by the American Airlines headquarters complex, right. which is where the Fort Worth Center is right now. So the en route ATC... You're dealing with the, the, the airplanes that are 35,000 feet. Exactly. If you stand outside and look straight up overhead and you see all the contrails, uh, I actually worked that sector. That was called Dallas High. And that was kind of neat. We sequenced airplanes into Houston Intercontinental, Hobby, Austin, and San Antonio. So if you get a bundle of airplanes, you got to stretch them out. We, we had to give Houston a, a nice line of airplanes so you'd vector and turn and it was always kind of fun to go outside after you had a big vector section and look up and look at all the, the contrails bending and curving and say, I did that. <laughs> so, so every every airplane that's in the air over the United States is controlled by an en route ATC at any given time. Is that Would that be a correct statement? That would not be a correct statement. That would not be a correct statement. So it's it's at, we're the only country in the world where you could jump in a small private airplane and fly coast to coast and not talk to anybody. Wow. You talk to anybody anywhere else in the world, their their aviation is very tightly controlled. Where we we have such freedom here in the United States of America. You never have to talk to anybody. Now if you get near a populated area like Dallas or Atlanta or Memphis, yeah, sure. you're gonna not you're gonna need to talk to somebody. But you don't have to if you don't wanna. Now all the airliners are talking to somebody. That's what I was yeah uh, th- that's kind of what the question was uh yeah. referring to a commercial airliner once it gets a certain altitude, it becomes an en route ATC. Yeah. And from point A to point B, before you... So en route, Denver hands off to DFW. DFW hands off to another one until it eventually yeah. is handed off to an approach. So, yeah, ATC. well, let's talk about the start of a flight. So sure. you're taxiing around at DFW Airport. You're talking to DFW Ground Controller. Okay. You line up on the runway, you're talking to the what's called the local controller. He controls the runways. He clears the airplane for takeoff. As soon as the airplane's on its way, he switches him to the approach control, which happens to be on Spine Road at DFW Airport. There's there's a big building there in the middle, and that's where all the radar scopes are there. That guy, DFW Approach, owns 17,000 feet to the ground, a 40-mile radius around DFW Airport. Believe it or not, there's 128 airports in that 40-mile radius around DFW. Oh, my gosh. From mom-and-pop grass strips all the way up to DFW. It's it's fascinating. But he will climb, weave that airplane through all of his traffic and make sure he's separated from all this traffic, climb them to 17,000 feet, and initiate what's called a radar handoff. And me sitting on an in-route controller radar scope, I butt up to DFW approach. Uh, I, the data black... It's called a data block, the tag. It's got a call sign, altitude, speed, uh, the important stuff that the controller needs to needs to see to separate airplanes. A data block will appear on, on my radar scope saying, hey, I'm done talking to this guy. I'd like to hand him off to you. So I would type in a three-digit code or whatever or use my trackball and slew over the target, and I could accept the handoff electronically. So once I accept the handoff, he he sees a, something change on his data block at approach. And then, then when he's done separating the airplane, he switches the communications over to me. 
and the airplane will check on, climb him to 17,000 feet, tell me who he is, and I will climb him to 23,000 feet. The most low-altitude sectors in the en route world, center-wise, own 23,000 feet to the ground. So that's okay. why I was talking about the puddle jumpers, Greenville Major, Sulphur Springs, Mount Pleasant. All these little podunk airports are controlled by en route controllers. Okay. Well, I said controlled. They're, they're uncontrolled airports. There's no tower there. But if you wanted to get what we call flight following and talk to a controller, I would work you all the way to that. But anyways, the airliners checks on. I'd climb them up to 23,000 feet, separate them from traffic, and I would hand them off to the high altitude controller. And the high altitude controller owns 24,000 feet up to infinity. So when, when he's ready to talk to the airplane, he'll take the hand off and I'll do a verbal communication change, change to the next frequency. And so on and so forth. And uh, for example, Fort Worth Center owns to from west of Midland, Texas to east of Monroe, Louisiana, north of Oklahoma City, and just south of Waco. Huge, huge, huge volume of airspace. And now one person can't memorize all that airspace and all the frequencies that go with it. Right. So Fort Worth Center, as our most en route centers, are divided up into areas of specialization. So we had six areas at Fort Worth Center. That you would learn all that airspace in those six areas. So I and in those six areas, there are six or seven sectors. So I was qualified to work six or seven sectors in my career. So I'd work low altitude, high altitude. Fascinating part about that is above sixty thousand feet is uncontrolled airspace. You go VFR again. Well, who the heck flies up there? Nobody corporate does, but uh, the military did with SR seventy ones when they were flying. Sure, U uh, two aircraft are flying up there. Uh, they've got the Global Hawk the unmanned aircraft that can fly up there now. Aren't there weather balloons that go up there? Uh, uh, yeah, they launched about a, a Palestine, Texas. Okay. It's the National Weather Service, and they do balloon launches several times a week. Um, yeah, they'll go all the way up through in uncontrolled airspace. Google has high-altitude balloons. They're, they're practice, they're, they were experimenting with Internet from high-altitude balloons mm -hmm. when I was still working, and every once in a while you'd see a Google balloon up there. Yeah, it's also uh, the Loon Project is also the similar... L O O N. The Loon Project uh, has as balloons at fifty, sixty thousand feet. Oh, okay. Many of them over Africa, which is really, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is kind of the the, the geek in me that 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 you told me about an app called Flight Aware, but I'm also interested in a uh, an app called Flight Radar Twenty Four. Oh yeah, I think I told you about that one, and and you yeah. probably did too. Yeah. And and so just uh, looking around the world, I somehow wound up over Africa with, and it, there's all these little round yellow dots and I, you, and you click on one and, and I, I have seen the Google balloons. I've seen the loon project balloons and they're, oh, okay. they're both similar at about 60,000 feet. Did you find the and, app that ties into your phone camera where you can actually point your camera at an airplane and it'll tell you who it is? I think you said that was, I think you said that was flight aware. That, it was one of those. Yeah. Yeah. As an en route ATC, you're again, 17,000 feet on up to Oh, from 17,000 feet down to the ground. As long as you're outside of the approach control, okay. it's from the ground to infinity. On a typical day for an ATC, how many planes are you responsible for at any given time? Are you looking at 10 planes? Are you looking at 100 planes, 1,000 planes? So so the airlines do. You've, you've all heard the term hub and spoke. Sure. So when the big gaggle goes out, you're, most of the sectors are set up. To where once you get 18 airplanes on frequency, you turn red. It, you, you from green to yellow to red, that means the supervisor really needs to sit up and pay attention. Do I need to plug in another controller to help Hugh work these airplanes? 
Um, if it gets really busy, like in weather times of the year, when you get airplanes in your airspace that aren't normally there due to thunderstorms, it can get pretty overwhelming, and they'll plug in a third controller, which is basically an extra set of eyeballs because it can get kind of crazy. But because of, go back to the hub and spoke, when the, when the airlines are flushing airplanes out or got a big wad of airplanes coming in to hit, hit those banks, those time banks that they do, you can, you can exceed the 18 airplanes in a sector really easy. But the, we have a, another division in the, all of the centers called traffic management, and they monitor that kind of stuff. Um, so if you've ever been on an arrival coming in over Tulsa thinking you're going to come in on the northeast side of Dallas, well, if that northeast side of Dallas is busy, the traffic management unit can reroute that airplane and send them over the northwest side. So they, they can make some strategic moves with some airplanes. You've probably been on an airplane and it got delayed a little bit. It's probably because you might have got rerouted to to keep a sector from getting overloaded. Sure. So it's for safety reasons. You know, I know people complain about being late or and all that, but you do not want to <laughs> fly through a thunderstorm and you don't want to get in a hornet's nest in some controller's airspace where he just actually loses the picture, which that... That would be bad. <laughs> Losing the picture, being overwhelmed by the amount of airplanes? or uh, Yeah. Um, I think I might have seen it once, a controller do that. Oh. And the, the the mechanism that they said was this controller just said, my headset's broke. You, you could see, It was almost like you could see the circuit breaker pop. And it's extremely rare. I mean, I was there for 33 years, and I saw a controller do that, stand up. And somebody was just happened to be close by and grabbed a headset and jumped in and took over. But it, it, they just became overwhelmed with oh airplanes gosh. and that's and that's poor you know some something broke down in the system traffic management let that sector get overloaded for a reason maybe a supervisor wasn't monitoring close enough the situation but uh, it's extremely extremely rare um the, the the cool part about air traffic control when you're training you're in you're in the labs and then like a air traffic control version of a flight simulator you can actually what we call stop the clock. Yeah, you you pause it and you talk about it. But when you're talking to real, real airplanes, there is no stop the clock. So part of your training is um, there's a term we use called going down the. Uh, I'll be I'll be polite. Going down the toilet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, controllers will swirl around the toilet, and they have to learn the skills to get themselves out of that. And and then you know you're ready to be be cut loose, certified as a fully qualified controller. If you can get your, worked into that kind of a situation where you're you're swirling around the ball, but you grab yourself by the bootstraps and through your own mental prowess you get yourself out of it. And and it happens to all of us. So you can feel yourself swirling. So you you know to reach out and say hey. I can't take any airplanes for five minutes. You, you can reach out and, and yell at the room around you, talk to the server, say, hey, I need about a five-minute gap here. Stop handing airplanes off to me. Dig yourself out of a traffic situation, and then you're fine to keep going. But you can't stop the clock with real airplanes. They're not helicopters. It's a high-pressure job. It, it can be. On, can. On, on, on VFR clear days, visual flight rules days, like when the sun's out, everybody's flying their prescribed routes. Right. So they're, they're invisible highways in the sky. So everything's routine and nice. But. I was going to mention that you you told me probably just about a month ago when when I told you that I was really fascinated that all these planes seem to be following the same route. Yes, whether it's uh, whether it's an international flight over over the Atlantic or the Pacific, they all seem to be following the same line. And they are. And you had mentioned it's uh, it's an aviation highway. Exactly. It's like 
you got you're going all these cars going eastbound on I twenty. You don't want them to jump on the westbound lane and go eastbound in the westbound lane. It's the same thing in the sky. You you everybody's got their eastbound route. Everybody's got their westbound route or north or south. We keep everybody segregated in their lanes. And if we can't keep them in their lanes, we use altitude separation. Yeah. And in the en route controller world, where our minimums are five miles laterally, so side by side, we're not allowed to get airplanes closer than five miles, or vertically uh, above and below, the minimum is a thousand feet. You're also a pilot, and so what are some of the advantages of being an air traffic controller as a pilot? Uh, it's really easy for me to talk on the radio. Okay. So for some, for somebody who's brand new to aviation, jumps in an airplane and and hey, this is a microphone. You need to talk to that guy in that glass tall glass building over there, and you're kind of going, uh, what do I say? So as an air traffic controller, you kind of know the lingo already. And where your other coworkers uh, were they also pilots? Uh, th- you know that's a great question. It, you're not required to be a pilot to be an air traffic controller. Mm-hmm. But the smart facilities and supervisors had a list. They knew who the aviators were, and it was probably less than 5% of the 340-ish controllers that work at Fort Worth Center. Um, no. Maybe 5% of them had pilot's licenses. But that was on their own that they did, and the, and that, that actually came in handy a couple times in my career. We'd have an emergency, and maybe me or somebody else, a supervisor, knew that, hey, I got a pilot here. I got an airplane in distress, plug in, and and you can generally help out in the situation. You, you basically put yourself mentally in the co-pilot seat with that guy, right. help him run his checklist, talk about fuel state, you know, how much fuel did you have when you took off, how much you got left, how long you've been in the air, you know, make sure that pilot's just flying the airplane and you help him with some of those brain exercises. Somehow I just had a visual back on the movie Airplane and can you fly this plane and land it? And But then also... He's being helped on the ground by air traffic control. It's, yeah, airplane did it in a very humorous way, but yes. that, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Surely you can't be serious. Um, <laughs> and speaking of, uh, well, that going from movies uh, to celebrities, and you, this is one of my favorite stories that you've told me that celebrities own their some celebrities own their own planes. Oh, some yes. celebrities uh, fly their own planes. Oh. Have you ever had a celebrity uh, cross the, your radar? The famous cupcake story. Tell the story. So working a midnight shift, uh, controllers work a day shift, an evening shift, and a midnight shift because there's 24 hours a day, so they're eight-hour shifts. So there's three shifts. Most controllers work two nights, two days. And then your fifth day, you'll either come back in on a day shift or after your fourth day when you get off at 2.30 in the afternoon, you go home, take a power nap, come back at 10.30 at night, work the midnight shift, 10.30 to 6.30 in the morning. And that's what I was doing. I was working the mid-shift. So there's only three people on duty on the mid-shift, and uh, we weren't wearing headsets anymore. We had little hand hand telephone handsets that had a squeezy thing on it for the microphone, and we put the radio transmissions in the speaker so everybody in the room can hear the airplanes talk. And I was working the sector adjacent to DFW Approach, and this Boeing 707 took off, which 707s have been vacant from the skies forever, and his call sign was November 707 Juliet Tango. And me, I, you know, I'd probably just woken up from my power nap an hour earlier, and I, I wasn't totally with it, and I said, Boeing 707 Juliet Tango, Fort Worth Center, Rider, climb and maintain flight level 410. Didn't even think about it. And my coworker in there, he says, hey, Hugh. I says, What? So I think that's John Travolta's airplane. And I kind of did a double take, and I said, Boeing 7 Juliet Tango, is this John? He goes, yeah. 
So <laughs> it was John Travolta. He had just done his annual simulator recurrent training at American Airlines, who had the, at the time, they don't have it anymore, the only Boeing 707 simulator in the world. Oh, wow. So, so John was taking his Boeing, privately owned four-engine jet from DFW Airport to his little private airport in somewhere in Florida. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a private, uh, privately owned air park where people have their own airplanes. I said, uh, hey, 7 Juliet Tango says it wasn't busy. I didn't need to keep him on one of these routes, these prescribed routes that we talked about. I gave him direct. I said, clear direct to your destination, whatever it was. I can't remember the name of the airport now. So it turned him about 30 degrees right, which puts him in a, in a sector adjacent to me. Well, I knew over in the across the aisle, there was a young lady who was who's nice looking and she had a nickname. This was early on in in aviation before everybody was PC and uh, a lot of people had nicknames. Now I I dodged a nickname for my entire career, but her nickname happened to be cupcake. Okay. So I I handed off the Boeing 707, like we talked about earlier, the electronic handoff to the sector next to me who cupcake was working. She took the handoff. So I said, Hey, seven Juliet Tango contact four center. On 134.02, and when you check in, say hello to Cupcake. And he paused for it, and he said, can I do that? I said, oh, sure, yeah, it's the midnight shift. There's nothing going on. <laughs> he goes, okay. So uh, he, he switched, and me and my coworker, we could hear, because they were in the bay next to us, we could hear him check on. We heard this, Fort Worth Center, Boeing 707, Juliet is with you, climbing a flight level 410. And she rogered him. Then he keyed up and says, is this Cupcake? <laughs> <laughs> so we all got a good laugh about that. Didn't think anything of it. Well, about 30 days later, Cupcake walks around the corner, and I'm plugged in on a sector. She goes, hey, Hugh, check this out. And I said, what? She pulled out an eight and a half by... 10, whatever, this autograph glossy, black and white of John Travolta said, two cupcake from John Travolta. Oh, that is awesome. So I made the mistake of going home and telling my wife, and she looked at me and says, where's mine? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so for the rest of my career, I think I worked John Travolta two more times. I tried to get an autograph glossy out of him. It never happened. But, oh, no. Uh, but that was the famous cupcake Gosh. story. We're talking with Hugh Hunton, pilot, retired air traffic controller, and most importantly, a Mansfield resident. We're going to stop right here for this week and pick up part two next week. Are you ready for the trivia question of the week? It's coming up. We'll be right back. Congratulations to Kelly Tostel, who was the first person to email the correct answer to last week's trivia question. Who was Mansfield's first Justice of the Peace? According to Historic Mansfield Walking Tours, James Hunter Alexander was Mansfield's first Justice of the Peace. The former plantation owner brought his family of nine children to Mansfield after the Civil War ended. Kelly has won a $25 gift card to 54th Street Grill. It's time right now for the highly coveted, wildly popular trivia question of the week. The first person to email the correct answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com will receive a $25 gift card to the brand new 54th Street Grill. It's located at the shops at Broad, serving quality food in an eclectic retro style atmosphere. Check them out on the web at 54thstreetgrill.com. Let's get to this week's question, Colleen. Well, Steve, the South Point area of Mansfield will be seeing some new schools starting in the fall of 2021. One of those schools is Alma Martinez Intermediate, serving 5th and 6th graders. This week's trivia question is a two-parter. Part one, what was Alma Martinez's title when she retired? And two, at what school did she last work? 
email your answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. Again, what was Alma Martinez's title when she retired, and at what school did she last work? Good luck, and thanks to Eli at 54th Street for the gift card. Coming up next week on About Mansfield, it's all about the news, the talk, and the information. We will conclude our two-part interview with retired air traffic controller Hugh Hunton. The show will be released on Wednesday, December 2nd. Until then, don't forget to follow this podcast if you haven't already, so you never miss an episode. It's free and it's easy. Just enter your email address on our website, aboutmansfield.com. We will never send you any spam. We promise. About Mansfield is recorded at Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. Hosts, Steve Casillo and Colleen Daniel. Reporters, Stacy Main and Dennis Webb. City Council Recap, Casey Lewis. School Board Recap, Karen Marcucci. Home Improvement Feature, Terry Radswin. Sports, Tommy Cummings. Post-production editing, mixing, and mastering, Steve Casillo. We thank you all for listening. On behalf of the entire news team, have a safe, healthy, and happy Thanksgiving. I'm Steve Casillo, and this... is about Mansfield.